Welcome everyone to the Shadle Solutions Podcast. I'm very excited to get my first episode up here. So, a little bit about me. My name is Austin Shadle. I went to school for mechanical engineering. I have a deep passion for learning continuous improvement, building up my leadership and studying leadership. And I'm also just very curious about all the industries that are out there in the business world. So with this podcast, I hope to share some of my knowledge, experience, and ultimately uh, I want to have as many conversations as I can with people in different industries, different uh, levels of business, and share that with others. I know, especially when you're young and you're trying to figure out what you want to do, it's it's just difficult, man. Sometimes you, you just don't know until you try. Or I hope with uh, the different conversations I have on this podcast, uh, if younger people listen to it, they can get a good sense of, okay, what would it be like to work in this industry? Does that appeal to me? Would it be worth you know the effort of pursuing? So with that, I'm very excited that my first episode is definitely an interesting one in the sense that it's with my friend Tim Ferry, and essentially he designs board games for a living. And uh, it's just a very good example of, you know, what's possible out there. So we talk a bit about his business, his uh, interesting journey, getting into it, what his background was. It certainly wasn't just in how to design board games. It's definitely a passion he's turned into a business. So with that, uh, let's just jump right into the conversation. All right, today I am joined by Tim Ferry. He is a musician, board game designer, entrepreneur, and has recently added becoming a father to his resume. How are we doing today, Tim? Not too bad, Austin. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Little little technology battles before this, but we are off and running. <laughs> it worked out well since I had to stop and get some coffee. Yep. Yeah, give me a little, little time. All right. So let's dive into your background. So right now you're you're doing some board game stuff, but that's not quite where it started, did it, for you? Not really, yeah. So it started out... Um... I was teaching group classes for uh, elementary schools where I taught like how to play piano. So the, a lot of the kids' first experience with an instrument was me, which was pretty cool. That was kind of an honor. Uh, and then COVID hit and shut down that. I was teaching five classes a week. One of the classes had like 28 kids in the class, which was a lot. How was do you... like, a handful. Yeah. <laughs> I had like 15 or 16 keyboards in the back of my car. Um, but it was a really fun job. And I really wanted to get back to that um, eventually, where I would have some opportunity to teach kids how to do something, uh, especially in the elementary schools. That was a really, it was an awesome opportunity. Um, and so then after that, I ended up designing a board game and I had an uh, angel investor who helped me basically go full time into the board game industry. Uh, so we kickstarted that successfully. Uh, it's Old Salt, uh, it was a naval strategy game. Um, so then once we did kickstart that, dust settled, we were all happy, but we tried to figure out what we wanted to do next. Uh, there were some options, but we ended up going with um, teaching board game design to kids. Uh, so kind of going back to that, uh, iPiano is the company that I worked for when I taught piano to kids. Um, but now we're going to be teaching kids how to make their own board game in elementary schools. Uh, which will be pretty exciting. Old Salt, so you had the angel investor then as well, or was that? Yeah, towards the latter part. Okay. Uh, he basically helped me expedite the process, because uh, if I didn't have the funds that he provided, it would have been another year or two to actually get to Kickstarter for the Old Salt, just like mm -hmm. development and yeah. making it look pretty. So I know you've told me in the past that 
that the idea for that game spun from D and D. Yeah. So can you dig into that? What uh, what led you to the concept for this game? Uh, so a lot of times when I play D and D or Dungeons and Dragons, uh, we would homebrew like the whole mm -hmm. all most of it as much as we could. Uh, and homebrewing is where you take certain elements of the book and then you modify it for your own benefit. Because um, not everything is a one-size-fits-all. And so I had this naval strategy, not a naval strategy, but a naval endgame concept where it was going to be like 100 ships versus 100 ships. And I needed a different system because D&D didn't really fit it at, the, at that time or however I experienced I was. Um, so I started designing a new system for this epic naval battle. And the more I fleshed it out, the more it became its own like standalone instead of like being assisted by D&D. It was just its own thing. And then the campaign totally dropped off the face of the planet. All the players mm. kind of fell out <laughs> of the campaign, which is pretty standard. It's very rare to have a campaign that actually goes to the end. Um, yeah. But I overplanned for like, I mean, this session that used the naval strategy thing was going to be like a year out. So I definitely overplanned. But I used that system to then uh, make a little prototype. And then I played it with my friends and they really enjoyed it. And the more, it's just basically one step at a time after that led to making a board game, which was pretty cool. So when did you, was that back in college when you start first started working on that or? Uh, no, it was a couple of years after it college. Was after? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was probably three years after college, I think. Okay. Yeah. Is that how, how long were you teaching piano? Um, I was teaching piano, well, so I was developing the board game for four years, but I was teaching piano for a little bit during that as well. <laughs> There's the, the podcast dog <laughs> back there. So what, uh, in terms of creating a board game, so mm -hmm. not many people, I'm sure a lot of people would like to do that. Not many people make it to this final stage. So what were the biggest, the hardest parts for you Shoot. to get to this? It's now... For everybody listening in, it's just about to be in actual production. Mm -hmm. We got to test out the kind of final prototype recently. Yeah, the samples so that, that came was in. fun. Yeah. So what, really what were those uh, the hardest parts for um, getting a board game idea to a final product? For me, not for everyone, but for me, the hardest part was stepping out of my comfort zone and asking strangers to play my game, especially mm. when it was uh, just like grid paper and Amazon ship pieces that I had ordered. Um, and <laughs> it looked horrible. It was like this little blue prototype. And I went up to people that were playing a fully published game that they wanted to play. And then I was like, you guys want to play my game, please? <laughs> uh, and I was proud of the prototype that I had, but goodness, it, it, it's hard to go out of your comfort zone and ask people, especially when you're banking on them, like just being like, why would I want to play that? Or you mm -hmm. you you assume what their answer is going to be. The nice thing is that the board game community is super nice and they happily played my game and they enjoyed it, which is surprising given back then how many things were wrong with the, with mm -hmm. the prototype. Um, but it worked out well. They had great suggestions and that helped. But the hardest part for me was definitely getting out of the comfort zone and asking strangers to play it. So for the Kickstarter, so I'm sure most people understand Kickstarter, you can say, hey, I'm going to make this, you mm -hmm. fund it, and then, you know, you'll get a copy or all of that. So how do you actually get that Kickstarter 
out into the world and people to see it and know that it exists. Definitely. Uh, a lot of people will use conventions uh, to their advantage where they'll bring a prototype or the latest prototype to mm -hmm. the convention and then they'll show people and then they'll get their email signups. Um, and so then once you do get your launch date set, you'll throw out your email blast to everyone and be like, hey, sign up to be notified on Kickstarter. And then you want to build up that notify me list as much as possible. And then when you launch your Kickstarter, your goal is to have like 2,000 people that are notified. Oh, okay. Um, and so then that's how people know about it. But you do have to do outreach in order to get that list up. Because mm -hmm. even advertising by itself is not necessarily going to get 2,000 people. You'd have to spend mm -hmm. a lot of money. And if nobody knows about your game, especially if you're a first-time producer, you're not. they're not going to trust you. Because mm -hmm. there's, <laughs> there's been a lot of Kickstarter scams. And that's no good. That also hurts other people's potential possibility of publishing for a first time um so you really need to have your own grassroots group to kind of fund you um a mm -hmm. lot of people suggest doing a really small game that way you don't need a big following but that is basically the strategy that you would do so what are some top tips if somebody's like okay i have a concept for a game i want to go make it happen what are kind of your, your top three pieces of advice to make it easier for them? Yeah. First things first, I would say get a prototype made. It's just even if it's barely playable, but a minimum viable prototype. Uh, mm -hmm. Not even a product, just a prototype. And then just try to play it with whoever is willing. Um, you kind of have three different types of play testers. You have like the avid gamers, you have your friends and family, and then you have like casual gamers. You need to figure out what your audience is um, and then try to line that up as much as possible. Because if you're going for casual gamers and you play test it with advanced, like avid gamers, they're going to suggest great things, but it's mm. going to be different than what your audience is going to want. So you want to play test with your, your target audience. And that's also going to help you in the long run because you can get them excited about it. And okay, so first things first, minimum viable product or mm -hmm. prototype play test a lot as much as you can make sure you play test with your target audience and then get a social media presence up and running that way you can start building the i don't know reputation of your your new company mm -hmm. even if it's uh, doing business as if you have social media it'll build trust yeah yeah i think that's definitely smart just trying to be a business podcasts that trying to cater towards your ideal client mm -hmm. is always a big thing because you can you can take stuff and go a million different directions with it and yeah if you were playing towards more serious gamers i'm sure it would be a a different game yeah you know if you're if you're trying to make it more of a household friendly game which i think was ended up being more of the yep the approach you wanted to take it definitely <clears throat> and that's a big thing that any business has to do is really reflect on who they're potential client or customer would be and that that definitely makes the process easier because yeah i think that's where i'm sitting with consulting i'm like oh i got all these ideas pointing in a million directions but really ironing out things i see how it how it applies more and more to just every kind of business yeah you wouldn't think uh like oh just design or graphic design or making board games but there's still business aspects to it Oh, definitely. Because if you had a restaurant that was like sushi, you wouldn't show somebody who hates sushi your menu and be like, what do you think? Because they, would, mm. they wouldn't give you accurate feedback for what your target audience would be. Yeah, that's, that's a good example. For me, I, I definitely enjoyed playing the game. 
it still takes us some thought, but it's <laughs> it's one you could you get a couple of playthroughs, and I think it you'd get a lot more mm-hmm. uh, get a lot of fun out of it. And I know you got expansion packs coming, so you you designed it with the intent that you could take it a few different directions. Yes, I'm sure if there are more serious gamers could make it a more serious game true and we did give the option to homebrew uh, as i mentioned earlier with D, where you can homebrew it with old salt you can tailor it to your level and then we also mm. provide uh like blank mission sheets or blank factions sheets so if you wanted to make your own faction you're like these are boring i mean i love the <laughs> factions we have but there are eventually going to be people that want to create their own factions for their their own set of friends or their own missions and so i wanted to give them that option yeah so, a lot of flexibility yeah that's cool that you you had an idea that you could also turn into a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. so then after that you have an a, interesting story of how you got your <clears throat> angel investor for the next venture <laughs> which is little creators club correct yeah yeah yep so how, how'd you how'd you end up How'd that become a, a real life thing for you? Oh boy. Um, so the angel investor I had, he he was with me during Old Salt uh, in like the final stages of that mm-hmm. development and launch. Um, and then once, you know, that dust settled, then we were like, all right, what the heck do we want to do? Because he agreed to help me out for a year and to like try to get me out on my feet and get the thing running, get the business going, get it to be profitable. Um, and so then I had a few ideas and he really liked the teaching kids how to make the board games. And so we're like, sweet, what do we do? What's <laughs> like, that's a mm-hmm. cool concept. But, um, so then he suggested building out a curriculum and then building out, um, different programs for that curriculum. So I designed just like from stage one to end product, designing a board game, kind of using the information that I gleaned from designing old salt. Um, so like you got your theme, backstory, your components, your board, and how it all fits together. Um, and so now we have three programs where like the private party is for like birthdays for kids, um, where you can design a board game in two hours, which is mm-hmm. really <clears throat> fast considering it takes most people years to, I mean, it took me four years to make it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a rushed operation, but the, the fact that kids are able to make their own board game is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a fun process designing curriculum because I had not necessarily done that before. But after the demonstrations we've done, it worked out really well. Like there were only subtle changes that we had to make, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, lo- I always love the story of how you actually like met your angel investor. Oh, yeah. Um, we were at a... Well, which 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 way or, are you thinking of it? At least the way I understood you, you just met him at a business party or like oh. a christmas party or something <laughs> yeah yeah so their company they they're like an ad agency and so they got they are doing well with mm-hmm. uh, finances and so they were throwing a work party and i met the ceo there and i was just talking to people about the board game that i was working on which was the old salt and he kind of heard my story and he really liked it um and so i was going to do advertising through their company um and then during a meeting he was like let me shark tank you and see what you think. And then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let's, let's see what this looks like. And it was a deal that was way too good to be true. I even told mm-hmm. friends about it and they were like, is this a scam? Do you actually know this person? And I was like, yeah, it's my wife's boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was uh, definitely a, like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I, I love that story and I always try to remember it because it just goes to show 
like just the more people you meet and talk to, yeah, the things that can come from that, being a more previously introverted person and mm -hmm. had struggling to put myself out there. If you remember, hey, you know, one more hand sh shook, and then next thing you know, you might have an angel investor for true your dream job. Yeah, <clears throat> it wasn't even like trying to network. It just goes to show being organic just, is yeah, the way to go. Just talking to people. Yeah, so sorry, I, wanna... I forgot which way, which story you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. So I want to dive into the process. So, you know, like you said, making a board game that you can actually play, mm -hmm. holding your hands within two hours yeah. is extremely impressive. And I'm, I'm anybody that knows me, I'm very process-oriented, and I like to show the power of having a nice yeah. standard process can really expedite pretty extraordinary results. Mm -hmm. So... Break down kind of your your methods for getting somebody from a an idea in a kid's head to a mm -hmm. board game in a couple hours, or if you're doing the the summer camp, true, you know, probably yeah. a little better flushed out. Yep, product that they they can pitch at the end of the week. Uh, so, what is kind of your process? Those clear stepping stones that make it easy to go from just an idea to something playable that fast. Yeah. Uh, so for this example, I'll do the private party just because the other ones are a little bit more extended, a little more in-depth. So this will be a more of an abridged. So the private party takes place over two hours and you want to have about an hour for art just because it takes a while mm -hmm. to actually add the color and kind of make it look pretty, which also helps the parents see the value in what they just paid for. Because <laughs> the last thing you want is for the parent to be like, ooh, that's that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we give one hour, half of the time for art, which means you have to have everything else like rules, the board, the components figured out in an hour. And that's, we also have an icebreaker. So we start with an icebreaker, get the kids kind of like, you know, loosey goosey, ready to like kind of get their minds ready and firing. Uh, so once we do the icebreaker, then I kind of go over a quick overview of, well, what we're going to do, which is we're going to make a board game super fast in record time. It's kind of like a high energy, high output event. Um, the kids love it. They're they're already knowing what they're gonna do, um, but it just kind of gets them more excited about it. So once we do the icebreaker and then the quick overview, we dive into theme and backstory. Mm -hmm. uh, theme is critical because uh, it helps your players immerse themselves into the game. If you have a game about zombies that are tending to their garden, you want your players to feel like they're zombies tending a garden, which mm -hmm. is a very unique theme and backstory but if that's what you're going for that's what you're going for uh so we've had kids make games about asteroids hitting earth and how you have to save earth we've had kids make uh ganondorf which might be a little bit of an ip breach but i mean it's a kid <laughs> making a board game so i'm not too worried about it um so it's just like sky's the limit on your theme and backstory but out of the backstory you have your problem which helps or I, let me reset out of your backstory you have your goal your challenge your interaction and there's one more thing. Oh, the rule, like in these special rules. So with the goal, that helps your players know what they have to do to win. If you don't have a goal in your game, you're just kind of doing a puzzle. Uh, so the goal is there, what they have to do, and then that'll be the end trigger for the game. So your goal has to be in your backstory. Uh, so let's say your backstory is your spaceship is broken down and you are running out of oxygen you have to repair your ship. So it's pretty simple. Your goal is to repair your ship so you can have, you know, oxygen restored and all of that. Your challenge is to not run out of air. So that would be the challenge. Like, that's bad. If you fail the challenge, you fail the game. 
Um, so goal and challenge are kind of like intertwined often. Interaction has to do with how the players interact. So is it a free-for-all game? Is it like tag where it's one versus all? Or is it chess where it's like, or chess where it's one versus one? Your interaction tells you how the players interact with each other. And then the rules, sometimes there's special rules uh, in games that dictate certain things like the board. Uh, in Candyland, one of the rules is that if you draw a card like the plum person or the licorice guy, you have to go back to that point or forward on the board. Uh, so that's important to know early on. Uh, but usually the rule isn't like anything too crazy yet. Uh, so once you have your backstory, then you make your board. And there are lots of types of boards, but essentially the goal in, um, impacts what your board is going to be most often. I won't dive into it too aggressively, but the goal and board are kind of synced really well. Once you have your board drafted, uh, then we dive over into components, things like dice, sand timers, spinners, uh, punch board tokens. Uh, basically do a quick overview of each component, how it can you be used, uh, but there's a lot of flexibility there. And once you have your components situated, then it's time to figure out your rules. You need to figure out how to set up your game. You need to figure out how to do any actions that your players will be doing. Uh, let's say your players need to fight the big bad evil guy. Uh, you need to be able to have rules that tell you how to do that. Um, so once you get your rules figured out, then you go on to... That's it. Yeah, then you do art. So you got your board, your rules, your components, and then you do art, which for your art is pretty fun because you get to add art to the cards, the punch board, and then your box. Uh, and then the box mm -hmm. has to have like the title, has to have like the theme kind of interwoven into it. And then you get to put your designer name on it, which is the kid, and then a little blurb about the the game, which can usually just be the backstory. Uh, so that's the, the <clears throat> process. You got your theme backstory, board, which helps you get your components, which helps you get your rules, and then you get to spend the rest of the time working on art. Mm -hmm. Fun stuff. Yeah, mm. it's, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a quick hour, mm -hmm. or two hours. Yeah, and that just, yeah, that always makes me think back of how Hey, once you've fully defined a process for something, you know, really, really get it buttoned down, lined out, that you can do something that awesome that fast. Yeah. And even with, you know, people that are brand new to it, every kid is just True. walking in like, yep, I have no idea how this is going to happen. But yeah, with a nice setup process, boom, they can become a board game creator. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the hope is that once they figured out that they can make their own board game in it, like in its entirety, all them, then they'll be inspired to have a creative mindset moving forward. Um, and that they'll apply, cause basically we just broke it down into bite-sized pieces, this big project into little teeny tiny bits. Uh, so our hope is that they'll take that kind of mindset into other areas of their life. If they wanted to start woodworking or if they wanted to like paint, um, that they would just be a creator or a designer mm -hmm. or a builder. So that's yeah. our that's our goal. And now they kind of have an idea of a system where they're like, oh, I really like woodworking, but yeah. then you're just staring at a piece of wood. You're like, what do we oh, do? Which direction do I go? Yeah. yeah. So they yeah. can now they can sit there and think, oh, I want to make something for my mom. So what's her her backstory? What's something that she likes yeah. to do? Maybe she likes they can, planting flowers in the garden. Mm -hmm. so you, so yeah. And then you think of a oh, okay, I could solve a problem with this. So I know that's a that's a big thing for you. Obviously, these days parents are eager to pawn their kids off to technology. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot. You know, they're 
oh, here's an iPad with a nice foam case. Just yeah. go chill with that. So mm -hmm. I know your one of your guys' main motivations to, was to provide something that the kids could go and do for a week that didn't involve technology. technology. Yeah, we are currently intentionally uh, screenless. Um, that might eventually change when we add in like a 3D printer mm. and we'll have like a light design course, crash course, where we're like, all right, here's how you could like sculpt a miniature, which would be pretty sweet, very expensive. So we're not doing that right now, but for mm. right now, it's definitely intentionally screenless uh, just to have a full hands-on, um, you know, approach. So kind of going off of that, you're thinking, oh, things for the future. So with this, you know, you've got, we know what you do as a service, mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of business, this is what you're hoping to turn into. I know your long-term kind of career, yep. main means of income. So what, uh, what's, let's start with where you're at right now. What's, what's the current business plan? Current business plan, well, I guess where we're at currently uh, is we have a few summer camps this summer where we're having kids do the five-day course, uh, and each camp is like a – it's a half-day summer camp. So five days for three hours apiece, and at the end of it, they got their board game. Uh, in the September, we're going to launch the, the after-school club at uh, Des Moines schools um, and Johnston City as well. So the goal is to have 20 schools by the end of 2022. That's our that's our main hope. And then basically expand from there. So we'll need to hire teachers to teach this curriculum into the schools, which means we need to have a good training onboarding process. Uh, especially with kids, it's important to make sure that the teachers know what they're doing, but they also mm -hmm. know the processes of the company. That way we don't have angry parents, especially justified angry parents that are mm -hmm. calling us being like, why would you handle this situation this way? So um, that's something I'm trying to work through right now is making sure that we hire quality people. Uh, as terrifying as it is, like one bad situation could actually end the company before we even get off the ground. So mm -hmm. trying to avoid anything like that at utmost of cost. So we're going to try to do a slow build and then work from there. Um, so make sure what we have works and then expand. Eventually, the business plan is to have about 100 to 150 schools, and then we'll introduce another program. So right now it's board game building for Little Creators Club, but that's kind of a like a subsidi subsidiary of Little Creators Club. We eventually wanna have multiple creative or building-like programs, especially for different demographics as well and age groups. Uh, like we'd love to have a yard, uh, a, or a, a yard game creating class where mm -hmm. we get like adults together and we're like, here are typically like things you would use in a yard game and then just like give a brief overview and then just have them have a great time and make up like a dumb game that they get to play. Yeah, I um, think that could be a big thing for adults, especially yeah. in the Midwest when that's kind of the main thing hanging out in your yard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, while someone's grilling, other people are tossing objects in a yard, uh, whether it's bags or horseshoes or even badminton, and they're just playing. But so that we have a lot of ideas about programs we want to implement. Mm -hmm. We just want to make sure that the board game program is 100% like good to go before we, you know, we don't want to expand too fast, and especially when something's not ready to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's definitely a good, good mindset to have because... There's ton, tons and tons of businesses that once they they hit it and they just start expanding, then they yeah go too fast for <laughs> their own kind of wheels to handle. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, you know, your 
career goals right now. I mean, you're going to be doing a little, basically everything and the teaching. Yep. So moving forward, how, do, how are you trying to work this for yourself in terms of the work you're doing? Yeah. Um, well, what do you mean work? Or, um, so are you trying to get to the point where you're maybe not teaching so much and you get to oh, spend more time creating the next program? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess what I would ideally like to do is teach until I start to get a little burned out. Um, but at that time, I would, by the time I do get burned out, I would have multiple other instructors under me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd pretty easily be able to tag out with them. And then I would probably be a sub where like if someone's sick for that day or if something comes up, I can be a fill-in for those instructors real quick. Uh, I guess if we can get up to like the 100 to 150 school mark by the time I do get burned out, then I could just hire someone to do that teaching job and then I could focus more on designing full-time. Um, I, I also need to hire somebody to do outreach, uh, which would be great. Um, but if I can hire someone to basically do outreach to the schools and then a mm -hmm. uh, person to upkeep the health of the instructors, make sure that they're doing well, they have everything they need, then that would free me up to design new curriculums and implement as I see fit, which would be awesome. That would be mm -hmm. the overall goal. It's design full-time. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was, that's where you're ultimately trying to go. Obviously, designing board games is your favorite thing. So that would be awesome. You can get to a point where financially that's, you could, spend most of your time yeah so yeah so outreach and then what about like the the logistics side of that as oh, far as you yeah. know like components and all yeah that. getting the materials to the teachers once you're yeah spread out and rolling any any thoughts towards that yet yeah <laughs> i have thought about it um for right now we are working with print and play which is a on-demand board game printing service uh so mm -hmm. they make pretty much everything. And if they don't make it, they outsource it. Um, but like the boards, the meeples, the dice, pretty much everything that we would need, hmm. uh, they can do. Um, and so my contact over there, Jess, she was awesome with getting the components that I needed. Um, so right now in my basement, I have about 500 boards <laughs> and a thousand dice and 12,000 cards. <laughs> wow. So like we're set for yeah, a guess, bit. I guess I wouldn't have thought, oh, there's already a company that yeah. has produces board game, blank board game components. <laughs> right. But well, I had to request yeah, it to there. be blank because they make it oh. for um, like a lot of prototype designers. So oh, the, okay. the designers will implement their files and then it'll come out yeah. like a board game. Um, so they, they probably actually like like you because they can just yeah printing blank Print stuff is yeah nice just easy work for yeah. them and and it's at volume so they know hey we're gonna get yep a lot of business out of this yeah so, so i think what i would do if we had let's say we were in multiple parts of iowa so like we're covering the whole and it takes like four hours to get from one side to the other so it's not going to be mm -hmm. all at my place i'd probably have little hqs along scattered through iowa uh, whether it's like an instructor or uh, mm. an overall, like not region, but like a location area person or a head of contact. And then I would send them the components for that area. And then the, the instructors would obtain the components that they need for the upcoming classes. So if your upcoming class, let's say you got three classes and over the three classes, you have about 28 kids. So you would need about 35 boards just in case if some of them go bad and you'd need probably 
300 cards, uh, so many dice. And so the location person would then give those components to that person. That way, mm -hmm. you know, the instructor so that they're good to go for the next eight weeks. That would probably, I would, so I would have the print and play, send it to your main location hub. Yeah. Yep. And then they would divvy out from there. You think, so for these people, once you're spreading into other towns, would those be mostly, well, the teaching would be primarily part-time. Yep. Like, I know you've talked to me, it'd be like, try to find existing teachers that, you know, maybe want some, make some money on the side after hours. I wish that was still a viable or, option. Or you were saying there's that, that yeah. little window of time. There is a window of time, which really throws a wrench in my plan. Uh, the original goal was to find a teacher at the school that likes board games, which is, you know, there's a lot of teachers that like board games. Mm-hmm. But a lot of teachers in Iowa are on contract. And I don't know about other states, but at least in Iowa, they're on contract until let's let's say class gets out 345. They're on contract till four. But after school clubs have to start about five minutes after mm -hmm. class ends, that way there's not a bunch of time for the kid to run off and get lost, which yeah. totally makes sense. So if your after school club mm. starts at 350 and your teacher is stuck until four, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't ease your teacher. Which is really a shame. Um, yeah. So I gotta. I think what I'm gonna do is look into like colleges where there's just a kid who's like, you know what, I'm done with classes by one, mm -hmm. and in two hours I could totally be out of school and teach for an hour. Um, and yeah. We're, since it's only an hour, I'm right now leaning towards paying like fifty bucks per class. So mm -hmm. that way, because you have to be there 30 minutes beforehand because of all the parents that line up in the parking lot. So all the parking spots are full. So you got to beat the parents crowd, which is about 30 minutes. So in order to make sure that the instructors do that, you got to pay a little bit more than $12 mm -hmm. an hour. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Also, you get what wonder, you pay for. And so mm -hmm. I need quality instructors. So I wonder if, uh, I wonder if substitute teachers Ooh. are also stuck in that. Because I know, yeah. I think substituting... Maybe it might be getting more common because I know talking to a different teacher that substitutes, well, the way they put it is they're making pretty good money right now. Yeah. I'm sure that's relative to just normal teaching. But I mean, if you're in the, already in the mindset of being a substitute teacher, you're already in that kind of mm -hmm. freelance, you know, yeah. trying the more I work, the more I make. So true. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if there's, I wonder what the, the networks for substitutes are, if there's just, yeah. If you're really on your own as a substitute and you just talk to schools and say, hey, I'm here, I wonder if there's like a mm -hmm. kind of job bid network. Yeah, I guess the only that. the only risk would be if you're supposed to be at Hills Elementary on Mondays mm -hmm. and then that would then you have to either teach at Hills Elementary on Mondays or you don't teach on Monday. Because mm -hmm. if you're at, you know, 20 minutes away and then you have to be at the Hills Elementary five minutes after school ends yeah that would be the only tricky part but if you're a long-term sub and you're not on contract until four o'clock that could work out really well mm -hmm. that and also like my my mom's a assistant teacher mm -hmm. and i know she doesn't stick around till like after the school she doesn't always have to be there till the true end of the school day mm. so that might be another opportunity Definitely. if a school has those kind of part-time mm -hmm. assistant teachers usually it's the younger grades which would be the grades you're that's what I'm starting with yeah so then they'd be really good at they're just naturally have that the, that skill set to handle a whole bunch of yeah small kids that's a good idea yeah <clears throat> assistant teachers and substitute teachers solid call
So obviously finding quality people has been one of your biggest hurdles. So I know right now you've got a lot of stuff connected and ironed out, but mm -hmm. before you got to this point, what were some of those biggest hurdles for a little creators club? Yeah. Um, let's see. I would say building trust with the parents. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of great options out there for childcare uh, and a lot of free options as well. Like the YMCA for mm -hmm. like at-risk kids or all of that. The underserved is just, it's tough to compete with that. Um, so that was tough. And then getting the parents trust of a new company where it's like, I don't know exactly who you are. Um, and so I think the way we are overcoming that and have overcome that, we're in the process of it, but it's by doing demonstrations and then getting those parents um, to review us on like Facebook and then mm. we're getting a Google page. Google's difficult because we don't have a standing location. Uh, we're out of yeah, a, a UPS mailbox. <laughs> and yeah. so Google's like, that's not a legit, you can't have a business page. Uh, so we're in the process of getting that sorted out, but mm. basically <clears throat> getting reviews to build your reputation and yeah, trust. Think, yeah, it's definitely. And then I feel like probably the organic side of yeah. parents referring other parents is probably true. I could see that once you get the ball rolling, mm -hmm. being one of your main yeah. sources of business, or at least I'd like to think. Yeah, that was actually one way we got a few signups for our summer camps is we are offering $25 off your tuition or refunded on your tuition for every person you got signed up. And so mm, we had one yeah. person that got two signups uh, through their referrals. And so they basically had almost a half off uh, tuition, which was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. So what's your, what are your current outreach efforts? Um, I know that's been another yep. kind of figure, <laughs> something you're figuring out at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so in the effort of building awareness and trust, we are ordering a bunch of pencils and getting this activity put together where we can go to daycares or homeschool groups or schools once that starts back up in, in August. Uh, but essentially we'll run an activity that kind of, it's like a teaser for the program, mm -hmm. gets them excited about the idea of making a board game. Um, the, the goal with the activity is that it'd be cheap on our end, but exciting for the kids. Uh, and then we also need them to know about us. So we're giving them pencils with the little creators club. We are also worried about like if we gave them dice or meeples, which are cheap, mm -hmm. they would be distracted for the rest of the day. And yeah. then the teachers would not want us to come back and do the activity with other kids. So that was the, the best of all three worlds right there. The kids are excited about the activity. Uh, and then we don't have to spend a fortune to do the activity. And then the teachers don't get mad at us for distracting their kids for us today. Uh, so we'll be running that activity at as many daycares, as many homeschool groups, and as many schools as possible. That way, once we run our after-school clubs, we'll have solid awareness and excitement for the, the program. Mm -hmm. That's what we're, that's the next step. <laughs> yeah. So the big, the big thing right now is getting awareness of the parents and the mm -hmm. people that actually be clients. Yep. So I know it seems like you've been doing pretty well on obtaining locations that you can host it that's what been was, the easiest part yeah. yeah so was that a surprise to you that was yeah what, what was your process <laughs> for locking down locations that you could hold it it started out as reaching out to teachers which was 
not ideal. Uh, that didn't actually result in any positive turnaround or conversions. <laughs> uh, so I was starting to get disappointed. And then I reached out to a community director, the, yeah, the director of community services for that school district. Mm-hmm. And he loved the idea of the program. We met at a coffee shop, uh, Smoky Row, and that was a great time. It was like a two-hour meeting, and we covered a lot of stuff, talked about the Little Creators Club and how I designed it, and he's like, sweet. And they allowed me to go on with like their summer camps, and then they have five elementary schools. And mm-hmm. so I believe at this time, yeah, this, we will be... This is a, Des Moines is a good city to be starting to break that into. I mean, yeah, Des Moines itself is maxed out, but now all the suburbs that everybody yep. calls Des Moines anyway are exploding right now. So Agreed. If you can get into those school systems or one like Ankeny or Waukee, that's just mm-hmm. new school every, like building a whole new school every two years. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to yeah. hook up with the community director. That way they'll hook you up with all their schools. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise you're chasing down just like, it's like if you were to go, if you wanted apples, you had the option of getting a single apple or you could go to an apple tree. Mm-hmm. Like one of them is clearly better. So schools are the big thing. Uh mm-hmm. Do you have other, like, non, like, through, or other setups or events that are not through schools going? Um, we, through Ankeny's Cafe DM, that was like a tongue twister for mm-hmm. me, uh, we have a summer camp running through them. So that's a coffee shop, um, and they're great because their conference room is free. You just got to give them enough lead time that okay. way they can fit you into the schedule. Yeah. All right, let's see, post-technical difficulties. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's getting this first episode. Um, I'll I'll take it as a win. Just uh, just getting it to happen. We we're talking about schools have being your main location. Um, is that just primarily going to be your focus until you? I think really so. Get some volume going. Yeah, I think schools will be the most. Well, one, it's the probably the cheapest way to have a consistent location in different mm-hmm. locations. So, like, if I was going to rent space somewhere else, it'd be, like, 70 bucks an hour. And yeah. I would then need to do that eight times. Schools for... are a location and a client base yeah. in the same yeah. spot. And the kids are there. So, it's yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. The clients, clients right there. Um, so, for right now, schools are going to be the, the hyper focus. Like, if you're going to shoot an arrow... And you only got one arrow. Mm-hmm. We're, that's right now how I'm envisioning this. Because um, I don't want to overcommit and then fail. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely smart. schools. And then hopefully, you know, the kids run home to mom and dad. And they're like, oh, this is so cool. Yep. And then they have a little flyer from yep. you. And then they're like, oh, hey, we could hire that guy for Jimmy's next birthday party. True. Yeah. And spawn out from there. Exactly. Yeah. Referral is going to be huge. So I got to figure out if I want an incentive program or if I'm going to have, you know, because inflation's mm-hmm. crazy right now. I don't know. That is true. It's going to be tough to have a, even a small, you know, margins and all that stuff with this program just because materials are more expensive, uh, just because of, you know, worldwide shipping crisis. And you mm-hmm. can't really get like cardboard is really expensive so even cardboard now <laughs> yeah Sheesh. yeah it's pretty wild um even like normal board games so like old salt it like will make an adjustment and because of it like just worldwide events it'll go up in price i'm like i need to stop making adjustments to this game because mm-hmm. it just keeps a guy it keeps getting more and more expensive yeah um, what so, kind of margins are 
are we looking at or what kind of margins are there for if you were to sell a copy of old salt right now a copy of old salt is going to be 59 dollars, and then you take your tax and apply it to there um but to get a copy of old for me to make a copy of old salt it's like i think it's going to be about 13 dollars for each copy okay. which sounds like i'm making a huge profit but then you have to have you know you make your thousand copies and that's a lot of money but then you have to put it on the boat which is very expensive yeah. the oh. barge oh is... so the 13s before it even yep. leaves the manufacturer yeah that's oh, okay. the cost to like make it yeah um so like the making it making your dream a physical reality that's that 13 mm -hmm. bucks um might even be like thirteen twenty. i can't remember exactly uh <laughs> so then once you put it on the boat that's a lot and if we were to disperse it amongst amongst each uh unit let's say that's like fifteen dollars and then you get it to the fulfillment center you got to pay the fulfillment people to do their their fulfilling mm -hmm. um and then you have to also pay taxes and your i can't remember what it's cost but once you get to stateside you have to pay a cost i can't remember exactly what it's called um, so then that all adds up to basically where I make like 12 bucks each game, which mm -hmm. is not a lot <laughs> after the yeah. upfront cost of paying the artist, which we got a fantastic artist for old salt, but there are so many costs involved mm. and everyone's used to the $59 price, despite the fact that everything has gone up in price. So, oh yeah, it's tough, <clears throat> tough to adjust. Board mm -hmm. game market is rough. Mm-hmm. So obviously you've been a big board game guy your whole life. What what was the when you're trying to learn all the the like back end logistics? Was that you just just diving in on the internet or yeah. how did that go about? Internet is extremely helpful. Facebook has a lot of design groups uh, that are extremely helpful. There's like the board game design lab. It's a Facebook group that just basically everyone's helping each other. Hmm. Everyone helps everybody. Um, they have the mindset of like, uh, what's the like the ships all ships rise or tides rise rises all ships yeah yeah what's that saying what, uh, <laughs> rising tides raises all ships something like that yeah, yeah. but essentially mm -hmm. they help everyone help everyone which is mm -hmm. just fantastic for learning uh because somebody will ask about fulfillment somebody will ask about uh overseas taxes and all that stuff or just basic like how does this me mechanism work in a board game um mm -hmm. they're awesome <clears throat> so Asking questions or even just lurking and looking at what other people have posted has been very helpful. Yeah, that's something I've like always seen examples of, of how, you know, you really don't need to spend 20 years in an industry to mm -hmm. get to a decent level of expertise. There's so much info yeah. out there, so many people willing to help. Yeah. Books, I mean, Books. Just, just one good book can... Change the game. Change the game, give you really condensed experience of even potentially years of yeah. lessons learned. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to hear that there's lots of groups out there. and Definitely you... encouraged to go to the groups rather than designing in a vacuum. Because if you design in a vacuum, odds are someone mm. else has already made the game better than what you would make. True. Yeah. It's like, because some people are afraid to play test because they don't want people to steal their idea. Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, it's not worth it <laughs> to yeah. steal your idea. Anyone who would steal your idea is already working on their own idea and they have yeah. 15 others in their back pocket. They're not going to bother taking your idea. Mm -hmm. That's something I've heard a lot too is like, oh, people are scared to share their ideas even yeah. if they just have a good idea for an app. But the reality is, the people that hear it, uh, even if they wanted to steal it, they're not going to 
yeah. go through the five years of executing to actually make it a exactly a real product yeah it is kind of comedic because you can sort out the new people and then the experienced designers w with that statement alone mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah <laughs> which Something i mean it's like... great to be a newbie that's awesome mm -hmm. welcome to the hobby uh but <laughs> do not design in a vacuum it mm -hmm. will not work out well so what uh what other tips would you have for i don't know people in the creative space that want to somehow build a career off of it I, you've always you've always I guess been in the creative space yes. going to school for music yeah teaching piano I know you even made music that you sold for video games yeah yeah right. well they they paid me to make music for them uh that was yeah. also that was a blast so you've yeah so you've always had somewhat of a mindset of taking yep. your creative side and making some money off of it I guess. <laughs> yeah yeah but, uh, so what advice would you have for people that want to do the same yeah, I'd say whether you want to make chairs, make music for video games, or make board games, I would say tr have a mentality or a mindset of trying, failing, and fixing. Uh, so like you try it, and you either succeed or you fail, which either way is totally fine because you don't have the experience. Uh, but then when you do fail, just let that be uh, an opportunity rather than a statement of your own shortcomings. And then once you see that you did fail, it's an opportunity to then fix whatever went wrong. Um, and so then that's actually my favorite part, fixing, because you go back to the design board and make it better. Because you also have the benefit of hindsight, um, which is not something you usually get. Mm -hmm. So having a mentality of try, fail, fix, and also not letting your identity get tied up into the project. Because if someone says, I don't mm, like X, that's a good and one. it hurts your feelings, that's pretty normal because you've spent hundreds of hours on the project, mm -hmm. but it's not conducive to then get angry because your identity is hurt. So try to separate your identity from the project and you'll be able to make a better project. Hmm. That's, I don't know how to follow that. So I think <laughs> we might have to end on that bombshell. Uh, all right, steal it from Hot Ones, red carpet time. Oh boy. How can people find you, learn more about Little Creators Club and or Old Salt? Uh, just lay it out, where where can people find you? Yeah, Old Salt, uh, just go to Google and put in Old Salt Board Game. Uh, we got decent SEO, um, well, otherwise oldsaltboardgame.com is our website. Uh, there's a contact page, you can definitely get in touch with me. Uh, email is my name, Tim Ferry, I-I-I, because I'm the third, at gmail.com. Uh, and then Little Creators Club, uh, just littlecreatorsclub.com. Um, and then also same contact, that'll go to my email. Um, but yeah, would love to hear any suggestions to improve the program, or if you have ideas for creative programs that you think kids or adults would love, I'd love to hear it. Um, but yeah, we are on awesome. Facebook and Instagram. Is that where they can find us. your uh, upcoming classes or uh yep that's some other things the they can sign their kid up through yes all right yes. so everybody go to littlecreatorsclub.com uh, especially if you got kids and what's the age group you're focusing on right now uh between like 7 to 14 7 to 14 all righty well tim i appreciate the time thank you uh, i hope you had fun i did and oh we're buddies so i know i'll be talking to you soon yeah and i'm excited to see what the future has and hold for little creators club and uh all the add-ons and fun stuff with old salt coming definitely thanks for having me on so that wraps it up today for the shale solutions podcast i really appreciate everyone that's listened giving me their time um, this is the first episode I ever recorded, 
I've come a long way in terms of the tech that I use and ultimately, you know, it's going to take me a while being new to putting out podcasts to find my voice. Um, but ultimately, as long as I'm adding value to people, uh, I feel like I'm accomplishing what I hope to with this podcast. So again, really appreciate your time. If you want to look me or my business up, you can look up Austin Shadle, S-H-A-D-L-E, or Shadle Solutions on in LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. Please give me a follow if you have any questions or want to reach out. Happy to talk to others. So hope everyone has a good day and I look forward to sharing the next episode.